0: Proverbs chapter 15, you know, these Proverbs are very good, and we try to just look at each verse, take them a verse at a time, and try to get as much as we can and apply it out of each verse. And so uh, we have some wonderful statements in uh, the 15th and 16th chapter. I don't know how far we'll get, but we'll go as far as the Lord leads and time permits. And you pray that I can be able to teach you this as it needs to be. Chapter fifteen and verse one says, "A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger." Now, there's a whole lot in that verse. A soft answer, a calm answer, not hasty, not uh, lifted up, not loud, not uh, boastful, but a soft answer turneth away wrath. Look at the influence that a soft answer has in the midst of all the turmoil and, and arguments that and uh, you know, harsh words that people may be saying, if you find someone comes in with a soft word, a soft answer, it kind of steals the whole business of it, doesn't it? It just puts a new temperature to the whole uh, argument or the words that are going forth. And if you and I could learn to be that one that speaks that soft word, a soft answer turneth away wrath. You ever seen people that are just riled up about something to uh, the nth degree and then someone come along and say something In the right way, it just puts a stop to all of that. Oh, they may still be fretting a little, but it still puts it down. And it says, but grievous words stir up anger. That is, harsh words, hurting words. And notice when it says, stir up anger, it means it makes anger arise. Grievous words just builds and rises up and stirs up the anger. And then in verse 2, it says, the tongue of the wise useth knowledge... But the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. Now I want you to notice that again. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge. That means it makes knowledge acceptable. It uses it in the right way. But the the mouth of fools, the mouth of fools, notice instead of using, pours out, pourth out. That means it belches out. It just comes out all the time, bubbles out, foolishness. You see the difference? Isn't it a great deal of difference to use knowledge in the right way and make knowledge acceptable than to pour out foolishness? We call that responsible utterance. To be responsible with the words that you say. And then look in verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Notice what he looks at first. He doesn't say beholding the good and the evil. God sees the evil and he sees the good. And it says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding. The word beholding means he really looks at it. He sees it. He, it's uh, scrutinizing the sensibility of his eyes and the penetration of his eyes to behold the evil and to behold the good. The Bible says, the eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. And it says, there is no darkness, nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. So, none of us are going to hide from the eyes of the Lord. You may hide from the pastor, or the Sunday school teacher, or a Christian brother, or a friend, or mother, or father, or some of the family. You may hide, but you don't hide from God. None of us hide from God. In fact, he knows, the Bible says, he knows our thoughts afar off. If He knows our thoughts, He knows a great deal about us, right? The Lord tried the hearts and the reins. The hearts and the reins are the inmost being of man. And when He looks deep inside of us, He knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows whether we think evil or good. He tries the th- uh, hearts and reins of men. And you and I uh, need to constantly realize that however we think we put something over on someone else, we haven't put a thing over on God. The Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder, listen, of soul and spirit. That's the very inmost being of man. The soul, the life of man, and the spirit of man. And it says, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then it says in verse 13, that's Hebrews 4.12, but verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. The word manifest is openly, clearly seen. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. So it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Now look at verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. A wholesome tongue means the healing of the tongue or a soothing tongue. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. You know people can be helped by the words that we speak, or they can be hurt by the words that we speak. And a wholesome tongue has a healing effect. Remember, it says a tree of life. Over in the book of Revelation, there's going to be trees that are for healing of what? The, nation, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations and the fruit for every month of the year. So God has a... Uh, A provision for us in the future that will bring about the healing. But it also has a provision for us now, if we use our words aright, to the healing of wounds. Not physical wounds, possibly, but spiritual wounds. And it has that effect. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breach uh, in the spirit. Twisted. Perverseness. Perverseness therein. There in the tongue. When there's a perverse tongue. It's twisted. And a false. Breach in the spirit. In verse 5, it says, A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent. It becomes the prudent man to regard. And a fool despiseth his father's instruction. That means he's impatient, too, to learn. you ever seen people impatient? A fool? If you have a foolish son that will not learn from the experience of the father, he doesn't have enough patience to put up with the words that he may speak. He may be a little slower in the speech, but he may be speaking a little more in wisdom. And if the son can listen long enough, he might learn something. You know, the young man went away to college and he came back and he says, You know, I was surprised when I got home how much my folks had learned. Because he didn't realize it before, I guess. But the thing about it is when we, we learn from one another, and I learn a lot from my son, we learn from each other. And if we'll learn to learn from each other instead of... Uh, thinking that we know it all to begin with, well, then it helps. But I tell you, my son has taught me a great deal lately. And I really appreciate it. He's very knowledgeable in what he does. I'd never arrive there if it were not for him. So we appreciate each other. We learn from each other. And let's try to keep it that way. But it says, "...a a fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regardeth reproof is prudent." Verse 6 says, "...in the house of the righteous is much treasure." But, in the, but the revenues of the wicked is trouble. What are you storing up in your house? Look at this verse. It might just answer the question, what are you storing up? In the house of the righteous is much treasure. Are you storing up much treasure in your house because of the righteousness of that house? But look at the other side. But the revenues or the storing up of the wicked, the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Are you storing up trouble or are you storing up God's blessing? You can store it up whichever way you want to. Personally, I'd rather store up the things of God in you. And then in verse 7, what are you spreading? Verse 6 says, what are you storing up? Verse 7, what are you spreading? The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the foolish doeth not so. The word disperse means to... to, uh, Spread it around. But the lips of the wise disperse knowledge. When you speak anything, do you speak in knowledge to give it to someone else so that they may learn? But the heart of the foolish doeth not so. He doesn't give you you anything. He doesn't contribute to you understanding anything. But the the, uh, lips of the wise disperse knowledge. They not only have knowledge themselves, but they uh, share it with someone else. You and I are to share what God has given to us with others. That's the purpose of teaching. That's the purpose of coming to the house of God. That's the purpose of the preacher standing behind the pulpit and, and rightly dividing the word of truth. That was the purpose of the men of God that I listened to in times past, was to disper, disperse uh, knowledge. And if we will be there to receive it, you know, I wouldn't take the world for the men of God that I set under in the, in the Bible Baptist Seminary, now the Arlington Baptist College. I wouldn't take the world for that. I'm telling you, humanly speaking, they are uh, what I am. They've made me what I am and whatever that amounts to, I thank them for it. But anyway, we must thank the ones that have gone before us. Paul told Timothy, he says, the words that you received of me, the same commit unto faithful men that they may be able to what? Teach others also. And it goes down from the Men of the ages gone by, to this age, to our age, to the, this time, and to the generations to come, no wonder the, uh, Paul said that the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth, because that's where uh, the Word of God is to be kept true and to be preached truly, and then to be carried on to the next generation. And that's our responsibility to commit it unto faithful men that they may be able to teach others also. And then in verse uh, 8 it says, The sacrifice of the wicked is abom- an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Would you, what, which should you have, abomination or delight? God says, The sacrifice of the wicked. You know, sacrifices were given to, uh, to God. Some were burnt sacrifices, wholly acceptable unto God. But the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. In other words, if you think you can cleanse yourself just by sacrifice without changing the heart and life, you're fooled. You see, God's Word in the Old Testament, let me give you one, Isaiah chapter 1, let's see what verse, verse 13 says, listen, Bring no more vain oblations, incenses and abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies I cannot away with. It is iniquity even your solemn meeting, your new moons and your appointed feasts. My soul hateth, they are troubling to me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you and make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings. In other words, the sacrifices and all the ritual and all the formality, God says, I'm displeased with because I want you to put away evil from your doings uh, before mine eyes and cease to do evil and learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And he says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see, God says, I'm not just pleased with your sacrifices. I want your life to match up with your your sacrifices. He was telling Israel of old. And here in uh, Proverbs 15, verse 8, the sacrifices of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. Even though we may have problems and trials, if we pray to God, it, it is delightful to him. Look at verse nine. The way of the wicked is an abomination. Now look at verse eight and nine. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. We're going to find some more things in this chapter that's an abomination to the Lord that the wicked. We'll wait till we get to it and point it out. And it says, But he loveth. Him that followeth after righteousness. God's love toward us in doing what is good. When we do what is right and good, God says He loves that. Look at that verse. But He loveth him that followeth after. That doesn't mean we've obtained it, but that means that our heart's in the right direction, and our life is in the right direction, and we want to do the right thing. You see, it's always right to try to do right. Jesus said, Blessed are those that do hunger, and thirst after what? Righteousness. For they shall be filled. And you and I, even though we're not very good in ourselves, and we're not righteous except through Christ and how he makes us to be better and right. Yet, if we have a hungering and thirsting after righteousness, it's much, much the same that you find here. But he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. Now, look at verse uh, 10. Correction is grievous Unto him that forsaketh the way. Correction. And he that hateth reproof shall die. Here is life-saving reproof. Correction is grievous. Unto him that forsaketh the way. If you forsake the way, you have to be corrected. The Bible says, as far as his children are concerned, God's children, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, or corrects, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Correction is grievous. Unto him that forsaketh the way. We get in the wrong way. Correction is grievous. But if, if it helps us, if it changes our way, then it will profit withal. Look at verse 11. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. Sheol, the word hell here is sheol. It means the realm of the dead. And destruction is another word, abaddon. Abaddon, A-B-A-D-D-O-N. And it means destruction. By the way, this is one of the names uh, in the, uh, of Satan in the uh, uh, book of Revelation. And these two synonyms have reference to the place of the dead, the grave. And this verse points to God's omniscience. That means God is everywhere present. It says hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much, listen, how much more? Then, the hearts of the children of men. If hell and destruction are before the Lord, how much more are our hearts before the Lord? Let me give you a verse of reference. Look in Amos 9, verse 2. It says this. It says, Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. They, though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. God says, I'm, I'm there present. See, it says, our text says, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. It speaks of His omniscience. And in Psalm 139, uh, verses one, uh, verses 7 through 12. Psalm 139. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, verse 7. It says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? How are you going to get away from the presence of God? <clears throat> you remember old Jonas, try, Jonah tried to run away from the presence of God. And he took a ship to go down to Tarsus. And, and uh, you remember what happened. He ended up in the belly of the whale, didn't he? He said, Out of the belly of hell cried I. said, The weeds were about my head. He said, uh, I was swallowed up. I was in the deep. And he said, uh, They that behold uh, lying vanities forsake their own mercy. And he said, Yet will I look again toward thy holy temple. And then he said, Salvation is of the Lord. And when he said that, that fish throated my... He couldn't stand it anymore. Put him back on dry ground. And I tell you what, that was Jonah's deliverance when he said salvation is the Lord. He was in a terrible fix until he realized that it was of God. He couldn't do anything about his situation. But he was trying to run away from the presence of God. Psalm 139 verse uh, 7 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. You can't even hide in the dark from God. See? Yea, the darkness hides not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. See, God sees it all. Okay? Now let's look at the next verse in our our Proverbs. Verse 11 said, Hell and destruction are before the Lord, how much more than the hearts of the children of men. If all of these things, think of it, trying to run away from God's presence and going up to heaven and God's still there, going down to hell and God's still there, going to the uttermost part of the sea and God's still there, how much more than the hearts of the children of men. That means that we're in his presence too. That means we can't get away from God's presence. Alright, look at verse 12. It says, A scorner loveth not, loveth not one that reproveth him. A scoffer, a scoffer, a scorner shuns the wise because he hates their reproof. Neither will he go unto the wise. Remember, one of old wanted to, concerning Ahab and Micaiah, back in the book of 1 Kings, old Ahab wanted someone to speak smooth words to him. Let me turn to 1 Kings 22 and verse 8. 1 Kings 22 and verse 8. The king of Israel said unto Josaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, uh, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. Now look, what does he say? For he does not prophesy good concerning me. He just won't say anything good about what is going to to happen to me. And he says, but evil. And Josaphat said, let not the king say so. They had to have counsel, but old Ahab, he he didn't want counsel of Micaiah at all. He says, he doesn't say anything good about me. And he wanted smooth words. And he knew that Micaiah would reprove him, which he did. Micaiah did reprove him directly. And so back to our verse in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 12. Notice again, it says, A scorner loveth not one that reproveth him, neither will he go unto the wise. He just won't go to the wise. Look at verse 13. It says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Look at that. But... By sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. The outward countenance revealed by the inward feelings. Sad thoughts crush the spirit. Sad thoughts. Have you ever been around folks that just, you know, everything's bad. Just, you know, I can't get along with this and I can't get along with that. And I'm just so broken hearted and I'm so down. And when you go away, how do you feel? The same way. A broken... It it, it says... But by a sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. You stay around that very long and you'll go away and you'll be the same kind of a person. But if you go away from someone that is, is cheerful and merry of heart, and uh, they're, they're lively and they're uh, thankful and they, they thank God for every blessing, you say, you know, boy, life is not so bad as I thought it was. I think it's a pretty good life to live. God has given me life and health and strength and I'm just thankful for the day. Every morning is a new day. Well, you know you have a different attitude, don't you? And then I want you to look at verse 14. It says, The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. Now look at that. The very inside of man, the heart of man that hath understanding seeketh knowledge. If you have any understanding and have any knowledge, you want more of it. It's kind of contagious. You know, you want to keep on learning. Paul was about ready to die. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Second in Titus also. But anyway, Second Timothy chapter 4. And he's telling uh, Timothy, he says, When you come, be sure you come before winter. Winter was coming on. And he says, When you come, bring my cloak. And he says, Bring the books, and especially the parchments, the Bible, the Scriptures. But he said, I'm, he knew, he says, I'm now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. And he says, uh, there, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but all of them also that love His appearing. But he says, bring the books. What does it mean? Paul was a student and learning to the very day of his death. He thought, if I've got ten more days before I'm beheaded, I still want to learn something. The attitude. Keep your mind. You know, I just pray. You pray for me and with me for this. Will you please? I pray that God will help my mind to be right. Until he's through with me, at least. Because, uh, you know, it's difficult to try to preach the Word. And you want your mind to be clear. And sometimes we say things... And Sunday I was very uh, feverish and and sick. And and sometimes you don't even realize if you've said something wrong. You may have said one word and meant something else. Thinking exactly exactly another thing. Your mind was thinking the right thing. But your Word came out differently. And so... We want to pray that our minds will be sharp and clear, and we don't have to be the most brilliant person in the world, but at least think clearly. And will you please pray that for me? I ask you to do that. Because I want to be able to preach the Word of God as long as God sees fit to let me preach His Word. And I desire to do that more than anything, but I realize that when you... You get older, you begin to make mistakes and you begin to say things that you really didn't mean or think in the first place. And it, came, it comes out wrong. You don't mean to say it that way because your thoughts are not even running in that direction. But it comes out wrong sometimes. Alright, look at this. The heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. He feeds on things that are not uh, of any value whatsoever. He feeds on things that are no value whatsoever. Just kind of uh rolls along with the tide and he feeds himself on foolishness and foolish thoughts and childish things. And Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And we, we have to think differently, don't we, as we go along. And look at verse uh, uh, 15, I believe is the one I'd like to give you now. I see references here and I, I'm afraid I'm going to skip something. And I do want to back up to verse 13 because I, don't, I want to give you this. It says, A merry heart maketh cheerful countenance, but, uh, but by... Sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Remember that Nehemiah was understood by the king by his countenance. He was sad of countenance when he heard of all the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and everything happening to his people. And he was not supposed to be sad in the presence of the king. I mean, that was dangerous. And let me see if I can look in the book of uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let me just read verse 2. It says, well, let's read verse 1 and 2, because it will get the message. came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. He was a, a king's cupbearer. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Look at this. I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing that thou art uh, not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then was I very sore and afraid. And of course he told, he related the reason to the king that he was sad because of the sad report of the children of Israel and the walls of Jerusalem being broken down and the city, the gates burned with fire and all of the things. And, and he wanted to do something about it. And it made him of a sad countenance. And I think that applies to the verse 13 that we studied back in Proverbs 15, verse 13, again, you see that. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Well, his heart was not merry. His countenance was not cheerful. Okay, now down to verse uh, 15 again. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. A merry heart hath what? A continual feast. Here's the prevailing attitude. The prevailing attitude. All the days of the afflicted are evil. In other words, everything is bad. But, notice... But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. So if you want your life to be happy as you go along, you know we have this life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I wonder why they put pursuit in there. Because we have to pursue it, don't we? Right? Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But then Jesus said, blessed, happy is the man. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that do mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst and meat first, and they shall inherit the Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So happy is the man that follows these uh, things that Jesus spoke of. Here, if we have a, a merry heart, it's a continual feast. We, the prevailing attitude of our lives. You know you can be happy even when things are not going well. And you can overcome the trials that come your way with a proper attitude. And here's the prevailing attitude is to go through it with cheerfulness. Because everything is not as bad as we picture it. A lot of times we picture things that are far more worse, far worse than they really are. And if we can learn to look on the bright side of things, I like Dan Storm's article in the newspaper, a silver lining, behind every cloud there's a silver lining, if we'll remember that. And uh, so let's try to get our hearts right and uh, have a merry heart. It says, a uh, merry heart has a continual feast. Look at verse 16 and 17. We'll read these kind of together because they show us priorities. Priorities. Look at verse 16. Better is a little with, fear, with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Isn't it better to have a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasures and have trouble all the time? You see, that shows you that wealth and things and treasures are not the answer to happiness. Money will buy almost everything but happiness and take you almost anywhere but to heaven. But, see, the real thing is happiness that comes from the God. Look at verse 17. Better is a dinner of herbs. Where love is, where love is, than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. And you'd rather just have a little in your house and have a, a, an ordinary meal, maybe not anything elaborate, but filling and good for you, than to have trouble, have hatred, and have the greatest feast you could spread on the table. It's better, isn't it? He's telling us priorities here. Better is a little. Look at verse 16 and 17, both of them together. Tie them together. Better is a little with fear of the Lord. by the way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, reverence in God, putting God first. Fear of the Lord, then great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. And then verse 18, it says, a wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. Look, you have stirreth up or appeaseth. Which will it be in our lives? A wrathful man stirreth up strife. Have you ever seen folks that were angry about everything? And they're going to stir up trouble wherever they go? That's not the kind of people to be around, friends. But it says, but what's the other? But he that is slow to anger appeases strife. If you see someone getting a little bit angry with someone else, and try to appease it a little bit. Try to play it down. Try to not let any more coals get on the fire or... Wood get on the coal of fire. The Bible says, where no wood is, the fire goeth out. And where there is no tail bearer, listen, the strife ceaseth. It means it dies out. Alright, let's look at this. In uh, verse uh, 19 it says, The way of the slothful man is an hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is made plain. Okay, you have two things here. The difficult way or the best path to take. The way of the slothful man is a hedge of thorns. That's very difficult. A hedge of uh, thorns are hard to get through, aren't they? You ever try to go through a a thorn uh, patch where there's thorns and try to work your way through them? That's very difficult, isn't it? But it says, now look the other, but the way of the righteous is made plain. That means it is a good way. It's an easy way. It's a causeway. It's an easy way to travel. Verse 20 says, A wise son maketh a glad father, and he does. But a foolish man despiseth his mother. It shows us to honor fathers and mothers. And it shows us that we can learn from fathers and mothers. And you boys and girls, you children, remember, mothers and dads are trying their best to teach you what is the right thing to do and the right way to live. We can all be thankful for the influence of our fathers and mothers. I'm sure that most of us can. Now it's true that some come along and the children uh, are mistreated and uh, there's not there's bad fathers as well as bad children. That's what I'm trying to say. And some of the children are, I'm surprised that they've made it as well as they have through life considering the kind of bringing up they did have. But on the other hand we have a a lot of good fathers and mothers trying to teach their children right. And, and children ought to obey their parents in order to learn what is right. In verse uh, 21, Folly is, is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. But a man of understanding walketh uprightly. A careless walk or a straight course. Folly is joy to him. You, a careless walk. See? Folly is joy to him that is destitute of wisdom. He just doesn't care how he walks. He's destitute of wisdom. But it's a joy to him to walk in that way. Seems like that's the happiness of his life, to walk carelessly through this life. But on the other hand, look, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. He walks a straight course. He tries to live the right way. The Bible tells us that we should live soberly and righteously, And godly in this present world. And the Bible tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation teaches us to do this. You ever heard people say, well, you know, if I believed I was saved and secure, that I'd live a certain kind of ungodly way? No. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Listen, teaching us, the grace that saves, that brings salvation, teaches us. To deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Then it says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The grace that saves also teaches us how to live. Notice what it says here. The way, uh, let's see, in verse uh, 21, Folly is a joy to him that is destitute of wisdom, but a man of understanding walketh uprightly. So we need to learn how to walk in, in this life and to live right. In verse 22, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Get good advice. It's teaching us here. Without counsel, Purposes are disappointed. If you don't talk things over, work things out, then the plans will not work out. You have to talk it over. You have to work things out. The problems and the uh, the objective has to be before you. The plan and the purpose and the goal. And then when you work it out, it will be a blessing. And there will not be disappointment. Get good advice. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Get all the good advice you can. See, Don't just say, well, I got a little advice from this fellow. Well, get a little bit more. Maybe a few more heads will help, right? And when we talk it over, we'll decide the best course to take. That's why we have, uh, when we have something that's uh, very uh, urgent. Before the church, we bring it up before everyone and everyone thinks about it a little bit. And One will make a motion, the other second it. We talk about it a little bit maybe before and then then we vote on it and say, well, that's the course we want to take because we've all decided that's the best direction. That's the way a church should be run and that's the way we try to to do it. Now then, in verse uh, 23, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth. And a word spoken in due season, how good it is. A word fitly spoken, as we said, like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Uh, verse 24, the way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. Here's life and death. The way of life is above, upward to life, and downward the other way, that he may depart from hell beneath. Verse 25, the Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but he will establish the border of the wicked. Uh, Of the widow, rather. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, My eyes caught the next verse. Uh, The Lord will destroy the house of the proud, but He will establish the border of the widow. God cares for the poor and the widow and the orphan. He made provision for them in the Old Testament. He told the children of Israel when they were reaping their fields to leave the gleanings for the poor and the widow and the orphan. And so we find that God cares for the poor. He cares for the widow. He cares for the orphan. And it says that Uh, He will establish the border of the widow, but he will destroy the house of the proud. Verse 26 says, the thoughts of the wicked are abomination. What we say back in verse uh, uh, 8 and 9, the sacrifice of the wicked is abomination to the Lord. Verse 9, the way of the wicked is abomination to the Lord. Verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are abomination to the Lord. Even the thoughts of the wicked. The way is bad. The sacrifice is bad, but even their thoughts are bad. And by the way, the way stems from the thoughts, you see. So God says the thoughts of the wicked are abomination to the Lord. God knows the thoughts of the wicked, afar off. Look at the latter part of that verse. But the words of the pure are pleasant words. They're pleasing to the Lord. They're not abomination to the Lord. They're pleasing to the Lord. Verse 27, he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. They threaten their own home and their own soul that are greedy of gain. Tell you what, that's one you can take home with you. If you find a person that's greedy of gain, he's troubling his own house. That's what the Bible says. You try to just get a gain by greed. You may be thinking you're laying up a treasure. You may be thinking you're getting ahead. But all you're doing is causing trouble in your own house. Because God's going to make it for trouble instead of good. I like good, honest, working, hard working people that work for what they get and try to do the best they can with it. And if they can save a little, do it. That's fine. I love people like that. I really do. That's my kind of person. But he that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. But, look, but he that hateth gifts shall, li- shall live. Hateth gifts or will not accept bribes. He cannot be bought. He can't be paid off for Anything. That's one thing preachers uh, have to learn is they can't be paid off. And uh, some of our politicians would do well if they had learned that too. But I'm not going to preach on politics. My son said all you could hear down Texas was politics. And I said, I'm sorry. I wish you'd hear the Word. Verse 28. The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Studieth to answer. Responsible words. But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. Notice the difference between studieth And poureth out. See? The heart of the righteous studieth to answer. He wants to speak responsible words. But the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. He doesn't even think about it, just goes out and pours them out. Look at the next one. It says, The Lord is far from the wicked, far away, but he heareth, he's close at hand, the prayer of the righteous. Which will the Lord be for you, far away or close at hand? I want Him close at hand, don't you? It says, the Lord heareth the prayer. When He hears, that means He's close. By the way, you don't have to yell across the world either. He's close. He can hear a whisper. He can hear a thought. He can, he can read your thoughts when you pray and maybe you don't get the words out. Maybe your throat's sore and you can't utter the words. He still knows what you're trying to say. We've got We've got uh, problems with our own human nature, don't we? We're not always functioning to the top of the scale of our ability. But on the other hand, God knows the feeble prayer that we utter. But he that heareth the, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous, he's close at hand. Verse 30, the light of the eyes rejoiceth the heart, the radiant face of a friend, and a good report maketh the bones fat. In other words, a radiant face is a blessing, isn't it? Verse 31, by the way, verse 31, 2, and 3, and we'll close with these. These three. There are three proverbs here on teachability. Teachability. Notice, the ear that heareth reproof of life abideth among the wise. So we need to have our ear tuned to hearing uh, reproof of life and abideth among the wise. It will make us wise. Then verse uh, 32, he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. To refuse instruction or correction, and, and that's the same in the marginal reference, despiseth his own soul. In verse uh, the last part of verse 32, but he that heareth reproof Getteth understanding. You get something by it. The last verse. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, it says here. If we're going to learn anything, we have to reverence God. We have to realize that God is the teacher for us. And what He's sent our way, we're to learn it. And that godly reverence, that ability to... Revere His Word above all things. He says He's magnified His Word above all His name. Will bring a wisdom. And then it says, And before honor is humility. The whole path of wisdom is contained in these three verses. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in prayer.